there is no time like the 2020s to start a company, to start a startup. You know, with the rise of the internet, you can learn anything at a very low cost, if not for free. You can build anything without needing to know how to code with tools like Bubble and Adalo. And you can get the word out about your products for free by using you know sites like Twitter, Product Hunt, and Reddit. There's no time like the 2020s to build a company. Yet one element of kind of entrepreneurship and company building that hasn't caught up with the times is venture capital. Unless you live you know, in San Francisco or New York, chances are you may know what venture capital is, but you may not really know how it works. You may not know who the good VCs are, and you may not know how they think. So with this podcast of Forward Thinking Investors, I wanna dive into this world. I wanna help anyone in the world understand what is venture capital, who are the great venture capitalists, and how do they think about their day-to-day with the goal to help more people understand how it works so they can go out and raise capital for themselves. And they can build billion dollar companies just like you know Larry did at Google or Travis did at Uber or Katrina did at Stitch Fix. That can be you, but it just takes some education. And I'm using this podcast as a medium to teach everyone more about venture capital. So if you want to learn about it, you want to dive in, you want to meet some awesome investors, stick around, listen to some episodes, and I, and I hope you enjoy. All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we talk to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Except for today, today we are doing an investor segment where we're talking to an investor all about how he thinks about investing, portfolio analysis, and all things on the other side of the table. So today we're talking to Kirby Winfield, who is the founding GP at Ascend VC. Welcome to the show. How's it going? It's going great, Matt. I'm super stoked to be here. Thanks, uh, thanks a ton. I've been a fan of yours on Twitter, and, uh, and now I'm now I'm excited to uh, be on the pod. So thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. I, I appreciate you uh, you coming on. I, I love I love these investor conversations because you know I talk to founders you know all day every day, but when you talk to an investor, you you know it gives the audience kind of a, like the difference of thought on how things work, which I which I always look forward to. Um, so I think my, for my first question, this is the same question I ask everyone, um, but like, you know, venture capital is like a very opaque thing. People break in through different ways and avenues. So my first question is kind of, how did you kind of find yourself becoming, you know, the founding part the founding GP at SNBC? Like, how'd you get into venture capital and we'll just kind of go from there. Yeah, sure. Well, it's, you know, um, I took the operator path. So. I was fortunate enough to sort of stumble out of college into a startup in 1996. And um, that company went public. Next thing you know, I was with the founding team. Uh, we did another one, took it public. Uh, then I you know, had the super bright idea of taking over a venture-backed startup that needed a recap. And we ended up selling that. And then I did one more venture-backed startup, sold that. And boom, 20 years later, I kind of realized that, you know, while I'd had a, a pretty good string of, of luck, um, I wasn't great at a lot of what it took to be a founder. And, you know, listening to the founders on your podcast talk, I mean, a lot of, a lot of what, you know, they go through, you know, really resonates. And I just didn't feel like I was necessarily equipped to be great uh, as a startup founder. Um, but what I had learned over the course of 20 years was I was pretty good at picking the right teams to hitch my wagon to and the right markets and the right times to make those bets. Um, and so I kind of stepped back and thought, uh, you know, maybe there's a, uh, maybe there's a way for me to, you know, instead of betting my entire life uh, every five years on one startup, 
um, maybe bet uh, bet my money um, and on, on on other start on a number of startups, right? And spread it around a little bit. At the same time, like you know, my founder journey was you know rocky. Um, I you know had you know a ton of like bad habits and health, and I was on the road all the time, and I had a young family who really needed me, and I wasn't there. And that's a whole another podcast, but uh, but I kind of you know, I kind of got a chance to step back after we sold the last company and, um, and reflect on for the first time, reflect on like, what is it that I, you know, what is it that I like doing? You know, what is it that I actually think I'm good at and what, 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 what fulfills me? And, you know, as opposed to, I think what, what a lot of people and certainly what I asked myself for the first part of my career, which was, you know, what does the, what, what would, what would give me the most esteem in the market or what would, what would other people want me to do? Um, and man, I, I really got in trouble chasing those things. And, and so I was like, well, maybe I'll just start asking myself questions every year of like, well, you know, do you like, do you like meeting with founders? Do you like advising founders? Do you like helping them? And so I actually started by just angel investing full time from 16 to 2016, 2018. Um, um, you know, and, and my, I kind of had a thesis uh, around angel investing in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle, where I live. Um, and the thesis was that, you know, there's a gap in the capital stack. And I think in most markets there is, uh, you know, outside of the Bay area, um, this gap where at pre-seed, you know, institutional investors don't necessarily want to invest, um, pre-seed, um, when they do invest pre-seed, they're often not equipped to be helpful pre-seed or don't have the time and cycles because they're too focused on seed a and beyond. And, um, and so founders really, especially first-time founders, really have trouble accessing value-added sort of operator experience capital at the pre-seed. Um, and so, but I wasn't sure. So like I took a bunch of money off my balance sheet and decided to make 20 investments in, 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 over the course of a couple of years to try to figure out if I was good at it, if I liked it, if founders liked me, if they thought I had value, if they thought what I had was unique and, you know, sort of lo and behold, after, uh, after a couple of years of that, I was in some... Um, good deals. I was fortunate. I've been, you know, I always tell people my, my biggest asset is my age. So I've just been around <laughs> in the ecosystem for long enough that, um, that, uh, that, you know, when I decided to put the shingle out and tell people I was investing, I, I, I got access to some great deals. Um, and so in concert with that, I was discovering that I really enjoyed investing. Um, founders gave me feedback that what I was doing was unique, um, at least in our market. Um, and, I had some interest from LPs. So there were people that I'd put into our IPOs previously or put into angel investments alongside me who said, hey, why don't you just do a fund? Um, and so I put my own capital into the GP commit. I had a couple anchor, anchor uh, LPs um, get the uh, commit to the fund and that kind of got the ball rolling. And so, you know, um, so I guess that's the very long winded answer to how I got got to uh got to do this fund and um you know it's uh it's basically a second career for me i i i and i think the first time i've actually done something where i really feel sort of personal product market fit um where um yeah i think i'm doing the right thing i'd love to hear some of the similarities but i think more interestingly differences of, of what you know when you're spending those three four years cutting angel checks um, what is the, what have you noticed the differences between being an angel investor and actually being a venture capitalist and actually managing other people's money? Yeah, I think the biggest difference is when I was angel investing, I could just bet on founders that I wanted to see win 
because I wanted to help them win. Um, whereas as an institutional investor, I, I really need to bet on founders um, who I think will win. Uh, that's a, there's a big difference there, right? Um, you know, there's no cheerleader checks as a as a as an institutional investor, um, and so you know, I often you know I'll see I'll see deals now where uh, maybe it's outside of the scope of where you know where I think I can be successful as an institutional investor, um, but it's a founder who I just love and think is incredible and 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 really want to see want to see win. Um, and, and I maintain a list of, you know, 250 angel investors for that purpose. So when I do see something that's outside my swim lane where I do want to be helpful, I do want them to win. I feel like I don't feel the need to write them a check or find a way to cram them into the fund because I've got this other avenue where um, I share deal flow with folks. And, you know, those folks have written, you know, $4 million in checks to, to, to founders I've recommended. And, and so that's kind of a, I feel like that scratches the angel itch a little bit without, you know, without sort of creating conflict in the fund. And you mentioned that you have a ge geographic focus. Um, tell me about like a little bit how you kind of like came, came up with that and, um, and how is it like going? I think like specifically like in this market, I think like COVID kind of popped, popped something open and now like entrepreneurship is worldwide. I'm just kind of curious, like um, kind of how, how do you come up with that specific thesis and how's it yeah. been going? Yeah. So, look, when I when I did the sort of you know I would call it fund zero off my own balance sheet, I, I made seventeen investments in market and seven investments out of market. So places like New York and London and you know elsewhere. Um, of the of the seventeen investments I made in market, I think now fifteen have raised follow-on capital. Of the seven I made out of market zero have raised follow-on capital. So like there was just super negative signal when I was seeing deals from places that I didn't have intimate, you know, knowledge of the ecosystem. Um, the other way I would put it is like, I'm not so, um, you know, I, I don't think I'm, I don't, I don't think I'm uh, discovering fire here, like in terms of being an ex-operator investing capital. Um, and I, and I'm, we're very aware that if I were in the Bay Area with this strategy, I'd be, you know, just another dude. Um, and, and for me to not just be another dude and for me to have edge and advantage, like I need to play in a market where, you know, there aren't 500 of me or 50 of me, you know, there may be five of me, there may only be one of me. And that's not to pat myself on the back. That's just saying that's the nature of secondary markets um, in the venture capital ecosystem. And so, so I think, you know, my experience angel investing combined with, uh, you know, my, my sort of self-awareness around, you know, what is my differentiated value add, um, you know, globally versus maybe in the market that I, that I live in. Um, and then the third piece is, you know, I do this job because I obviously want to return capital for my investors and myself, but but I believe that the way I can do that best is because I love working with founders. Like I love meeting with founders. I love helping founders hire. I love the, like, like hearing about their problems and um, you know, helping them raise money and, uh, and, and kind of being along for the ride. And that's just easier to do when, you know, when I'm a, you know, a drive to Vancouver or Portland or across town in Seattle away from you, 
um, versus you know versus a flight. And um, so I think all those three those three factors kind of combine. Yeah, I, and I guess the fourth factor is, I think it's like the second inning for this ecosystem in the Pacific Northwest. It's super early. There's already you know four trillion dollars in market cap here um, in tech, and I feel like we're just getting started. You're just now starting to see the second order effects of the companies that um, have gone public, like uh, like uh, or been acquired, like Tableau or DocuSign, or um, you know Rover's gone out in a spec, and um, obviously you've got like the first wave of the you know Zulilies and and Expedias, and I'm you know missing a bunch, but um, but uh, but I just now think that that there's enough talent here from a business perspective. We've always had tech talent. But there's enough talent here from a business perspective that's scaled companies from A to D to public um, where, where I think great companies and multi-decacorn you know, companies can be and are being built here every year. Um, and I believe that for me to be um, one, of the, one of the, hopefully one of the few or one of the favorite options for, for founders at the pre-seed and in a market that's so early but so so valuable um you know my i tell my lps like look you got to believe seattle's going to create you know five decacorns three decacorns every year um and you got to believe that i'm going to be able to be in one or two of them um and if you believe that then you know we've got a 3x plus fund and you know let's go uh so that's that's the sort of fourth leg of the stool or i guess it's a chair uh <laughs> for the geo focus on the fund so you kind of are in an interesting position because you invest in pre-seed, but you invest in pre-seed in, like you mentioned, a secondary market, which I think is like a very fascinating place to be in. I am in a secondary market myself in Tempe, Arizona, um, yeah. maybe even like a third, <laughs> like very lots of, you know, lots of stuff needs to happen here to kind of get there. Hopefully we can help. But my question for you is what, what does pre-seed mean to you? Like for you, is it, um, you know, if I was a founder that just got an idea yesterday, could I come to you or like what, when is kind of pre-seed for you if a founder was kind of listening, wondering, you know, if they should reach out to you or if they're too early or too late? You're never too early. Um, so I've, I've led pre-seeds at the idea stage um, and then collaborated with the founder to you know, strategize around fundraise and connect them with downstream capital or bring on, you know, co-investors from either our ecosystem or Silicon Valley. Um, so I don't think you're ever too early. Um, but, you know, I do think a lot of times investors will tell you you're too early when they mean you're just not a fit. Um, and so, you know, I think some founders uh, are better at explaining their vision or are more believable at the pre-product stage. And I think some founders need more traction um, or more proof. I mean, I always, I always say to founders, like there are three things that matter at pre-seed and it's team, uh, team uh, traction and technology. So, and the more you have of one, the less you need of the other two. So if you're Jack Dorsey, you don't need <laughs> any traction or any technology. Um, if you have, you know, an MLOps platform that's being adopted in an open source and has 30,000 engineers using it, nobody cares who you are uh, or maybe even how the product works because you've got some traction. Um, if you cured cancer, nobody cares whether it's actually in market with revenue yet. So most founders don't have any one of those things in spades. They usually have a mixture of the three. And it's my job to sort of sort out 
um, how those how those components play together. Um, and at, at a, and if it's pre-product, you know clearly the only thing that that you have is you, your team. Um, and so that's where uh, that's where um, that's where that this job is, uh, is is probably the toughest is really evaluating you know what qualities folks have um, beyond their sort of pedigree or their you know experience at startups, which actually, if you look at the numbers, don't really predict um, value creation. Um, so it's it's not easy. Yeah, not easy at all. There are there are ho hopefully you know smart people working on it, um, you know, to to solve the problem for sure. Um, so for you, you've you've been in the game for for a little bit, so you've seen some cycles. What what do you what do you make of uh, 2021, 2020, you know, venture capital palooza, and how do you d make decisions? knowing that this market could persist for a few years or it could stop tomorrow. Like, do you, do you think about that or is it kind of, is it, do you not really like, how, yeah. What do you think? Yeah. So I, I think the way I talk about, you know, the sort of froth in the market is you make an analogy to the ocean during, during like a hurricane. Um, when you're pre-seed you're, you know, 20 feet below the surface. And so the, the, the hurricane doesn't matter. It doesn't exist. Um, the further you go up to the surface, the further you go up the, uh, the capital stack, you know, the hurricane really affects you. Um, so if you're, you know, if you're, if you're growth stage and, you know, you overpay for something because you're making like a, you know, capital as mode, you know, bet, um, and you get caught out a year later, um, you know, you go to zero. Um, if I'm, you know, paying, you know, you know, if, if I'm paying eight post versus five post on a pre-seed, like it doesn't really matter. Um, I, I still just can focus on investing in great companies and great founders. And, um, and, you know, they're either going to create a successful, you know, business that attracts follow-on capital or they're not, but it's the, literally the first investment they take. So, um, so I'm, I feel like we're somewhat insulated from that, um, you know, standard caveats about sort of ownership, uh, you know, aside. I love that. It's actually how I feel with, with my company seed scout or like if you're, if you're so early, you're, it's like, I mean, it, there's these capital wars, but these capital wars are in much larger companies, but I still feel like these to be much more of a war, like, you know, in the early days of picking companies, cause there's so many entrepreneurs out there that are starting up. Um, I mean, yeah, that, that's it. I mean, it, it, I, I've been at this long enough that I remember when you couldn't start a company without a million dollars. Like you yeah, had to buy yeah. switches, you had to buy servers. Uh, like it, 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 the, the barrier to entry to, for creating most software startups now is like literally almost zero. Um, yep. You need to yep. be able to code, right? And, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's changed the landscape you know, remarkably in the last decade. And as you see by the proliferation of, you know, seed firms and now pre-seed firms, but uh, it's ex exciting times. So if someone is hearing, uh, kind of he hearing what you're saying, they're interested in, in what you're, you're doing, um, how can someone kind of learn more about you or send VC? Also, actually, before I, I that, let me ask one more questions before we finish it up, because I didn't yeah. cover it. Overall, just high level, 
what type of um, firm are you in the scope of like, do you write a lot? Do you write like a lot of small checks? Do you lead? Like just overall, if a founder is looking at you as a potential partner, what should they know? And then we can kind of share like, you know, how they can get in touch or find you online and then we'll call it a day. Great. Yeah. Uh, so we write checks 100K to 250. Um, we typically, you know, want to be in rounds that are valued, you know, sub, sub 10 million pre. Um, a sweet spot is sort of like, five to eight safe notes most of the time um we can flex up for a seed and something that we really believe in and and or is in one of our you know focus areas um e-commerce marketplace uh mlai and b2b SaaS. and then um if someone wanted to learn more about you like on twitter or like social profiles like how can someone kind of find you online or find ascend vc online ultimately like feel free to plug any links that you have and then um uh Great. yeah then that'll be it yeah so i'm as you as you know i'm um on twitter far too often um and my my, my handle's at kirby winfield k-i-r-b-y-w-i-n-f-i-e-l-d um Website is www.ascendvc.vc. Sorry, ascend.vc. Um, we've actually got a startup toolkit page on there that has kind of blown up on SEO because um, apparently there aren't that many resources like it, at least for our ecosystem. Um, so I built this. I built this page that just has all the stuff that I wish I had when I was a founder. So like info about investors and pitch decks and you know, I mean, all this stuff exists online, but I tried to to put it all in one place. Um, so check that out and yeah, hit me up, uh, Kirby at ascend.vc is my email. I'm happy to, you know, connect with anyone anytime about startups. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. It was a blast, Matt. Thanks. Thanks for all you're doing for the ecosystem.